Today's guest is animal communicator and author P. Horsley, discussing her book Heart to Heart, incredible and heartwarming stories from the woman who talks to animals, published by HarperCollins. Warm-hearted and funny, P. describes how she learned to tap into her intuition, and in doing so, the incredible animal characters that she meets along the way. A very warm welcome to the show, P. It's absolutely lovely to have you on here. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a, it's a, it's a great topic tonight. Um, I must admit, I came across you, I was reading a lovely article that you wrote or you was interviewed in the magazine for the Daily Mail. Yeah, um, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely lovely. And, you know, I've come across animal communicators before, but not for talking to an animal. It's, it's going to sound quite bizarre, but um, my daughter's autistic and um, she doesn't, you know, she finds communication quite hard and we don't really know what's going on inside her head. And mm-hmm. there was a, a lovely animal communicator that wrote for the Eternal Spirit magazine and she came over and she could hear all the thoughts inside her head absolutely clearly. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, through telepathy. Through telepathy, yeah. Yeah, you which know. is exactly what animal communication is. It's, you know, telepathically connecting with, well, any species at all. Exactly, yeah. So we we'd even know that she could talk, and all of a sudden she could pick up these thoughts, um, you know. And she said that she does this with animals as well. So it's kind of weird because you know, like with the whole um, mediumship thing, it's been really big over the years with a lot of well-known psychic and mediums contacting loved ones that have passed over. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, a lot of people from indigenous cultures, shamans, and that, you know, they believe that we can communicate with animals and we connect with the plants and nature so it's kind of you know it's, it's natural for them but all of a sudden now you know for people like yourself you're, you're bringing that awareness into the west that we can communicate with animals and they do feel don't they so yeah absolutely I, I i strongly believe that this has been happening for thousands of years you know people have always been able to communicate intuitively which is what it is with other species you know we're still we're animals ourselves human beings and you can communicate across any species. And um, it's, it is interesting how animal communication is really, especially hitting the UK a lot right at the moment. And it has been sort of over the last five years really um, coming into the media and people's awareness much more. And what I feel is that it surely has to be guided at some point by the universe, by a, you know, a higher being. Um, yeah. Which I wouldn't have said, I have to say, I would never have said that back in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> back in 2004, I had no idea that animal communication existed at all. You know, I was very, very sceptical about anything um, remotely like this. Yeah. Um, and a complete atheist as well. So I've, I've come on a massive, massive journey from, from when I discovered that you can actually talk to animals and hear them back, you know. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I know that you, you know, you were a stage manager, wasn't you? You work in a theatre, um, you worked with Harold Pinter, um, and that really this kind of thing was so far removed from what you thought you'd end up doing. And then you, I think one day you wanted to learn to understand, is it your dog, Morgan? Yeah, my dog like? Morgan. Yeah, absolutely. I was working in theatre for 15 years. That's what I'd trained for two years to do, you know. Um, and then I'd been working professionally for 15 years, working with Harold Pinter, Peter Bowles, Edward Fox, you know, Alan Rickman. Um, and then I adopted Morgan into my life, and he's the first dog that I've ever lived with. I've always been a massive cat fan. 
Um, and when he came, I adopted him from the Mayhew Animal Home. And I think that all rescued animals need a bit of a settling in period, you know, when they just, to help them understand that actually they are staying here, it's not a temporary arrangement, um, and that they are in a safe place where they're going to be loved. But over a bit of time, what I felt is that Morgan still had this feeling of sadness around him. And I just felt that intuitively, but of course at that point I would have never said I'm feeling this intuitively. I just thought, Morgan's sad, I wonder why he's sad. And then I was emailed, you know, and invited on to an animal communication workshop, which I thought was just a PC way of saying, come and read your dog's body language. Right, yeah. So I rocked up. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe it when the teacher started to tell us all these Dr. Doolittle stories, which is what I thought they were, you know about how he could talk to animals and there's about 20 of us in the room and 19 people were crying and then there was me sitting there you know bolt up right in my chair legs crossed arms crossed no doubt I've got a scowl on my face <laughs> I absolutely I didn't believe a word of it I was so skeptical um and then I challenged him at lunchtime as well actually said you know we've got an awful lot to do if we're going to actually be talking to animals this afternoon I still didn't believe it but I thought well yeah. I've paid my money now so I'm going to stay till the end <laughs> Um, and then we've got partnered up, and we weren't working with animals, real animals in the room at this point. We were working with photographs of animals that we'd taken along of our pets at home. And I was partnered up, and I had to guess what the photo, what animal was in the photo, my partner. And um, I thought well, that's ridiculous; could be anything. But I just heard this name in my uh, word in my head that said rabbit, and I turned it over, and it was a picture of a rabbit. And I thought, well. You know, that's a lucky guess, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's um, amazing, I just, yeah. I just completely discounted it. And then I was, we all had to ask the, the animals in the photo, you know, some questions. Everybody else is knuckling down, and then I'm sitting there, and my internal dialogue is a bit like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm meant to be talking to animals, but I'm not even talking to a real animal. I'm meant to be talking to an animal in a photo, and I started saying directly to the photo, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. Rabbits can't talk, let alone rabbits in a photo. And then what I heard in my head was kind of like my own inner voice, but with a different tone to it and a completely different attitude. Mm. And it just said, well, who the hell do you think is listening to you? <laughs> and it felt like a different, it didn't feel like it came from your own thoughts, like completely no, it external. It felt, it felt like it was external because it was, there was such a character behind it. Mm. Um, I still didn't believe at all at this stage. Um, but what I did is I, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to give this a go because maybe there's something in it. So I said to the photo of the rabbit, I said, you know, what's your favourite food? Um, I heard in my mind green leaves. And who's your who's your favourite friend? Have you got a best friend? And I saw, a, you know, a particular coloured rabbit. Uh, what do you like to do? What's your favourite activity? And then I saw a sofa and I thought, well, that's just bizarre. That can't be right. And then we had to give feedback in front of everybody about the stuff that we'd received. And um, I thought, well, why not? You know, I'm sure I've made it all up, but I'll just say it anyway. And so I started going through my list of things. And um, my my partner, the rabbit's guardian, started to confirm them and said yeah that's his favorite food yeah he is bonded with a rabbit that color i've got lots of rabbits that only one that color and 
anyone that knows anything about rabbits, you know, once they're bonded, they're bonded. Um, and there were a few things I got wrong. You know, I didn't get everything right. But when it came to the sofa, I said, you know, why is he picturing a sofa? That can't be right. And she said, well, actually it is because this rabbit, what he loved to do is he loved to sit on the sofa every Saturday night and watch TV. And his favourite programme, believe it or not, is You've Been Framed. Mm. Yeah. So it was right. The picture was right, you know. Yeah. So basically from there, it gave you the, the confidence or the impetus to sort of look into it a bit further. Yeah, what what happened is I, I had a massive sort of, oh my God, what just happened moment, like I think anybody would. Um, I can't believe, you know, part of the logical side of me went, I can't believe that happened. But then the other side of me went, but what happens if that just did happen? You know, that opens up my eyes to a whole new way of seeing the world. So I went on a second course um, and I found I could do it again. And it was actually on that second course that I had what I called my light bulb moment where I went, oh, my God, this is what I'm meant to be doing for the rest of my life. And of course, once you realise that they can communicate with such coherent language that, I mean, I read in your book, you're saying they opened up all of these um, bit of sadness in you because you realised all the pain and the hurt that they feel when there's animals that are being experimented on and, you know, yeah. the ones that are not treated so nicely because they might not be able to speak but they're just as sentient as the rest of us, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's great about animal communication is, is is that it's there to help end suffering, you know. So whenever I can, not just with um, my, my clients' animals that I'm helping, I will try and communicate with other animals who I see are suffering and try to ease their load a little bit, you know. But it does make you suddenly think of, you know, vivisection and just animal testing and all these things you know when there are rabbits in um laboratories being tested on you know they do have feelings of course and they do think and they do know what's going on i mean one of the stories that i found really inspirational in the book is that there was um i think there's a collie um owned the guardian was mike and um, I think the dog had something wrong with his legs where he couldn't really run. It was paralysed almost. Yeah, and, he, was, um, he was paralysed. The, the dog's called Mono. Yeah, he had yeah. an accident. And um, the vets um, gave him a very sort of grim prognosis where they were saying that he, he'll never walk again. So, of course, it was suggested that he was put to sleep. Um, but Mike absolutely adores his dog and had been going through a rough time himself and felt that his dog pulled him through it and so he wasn't willing to give up on mono quite so easily and um there was a there was a plea where um a friend of mike's asked for help and i just felt really drawn to it and so i made contact and said you know um if you'd like some help i'm, I'm willing to give it a go there's obviously no charge in this because i'm approaching him he's never even heard of animal communication and um, I started to communicate with Mono, and um, he was able to tell me exactly where he was lying. He was lying on the sofa. He was able to tell me he was lying on his left side. He, was tell he told me that Mike was sleeping on the floor beneath him and that he was in a blue room. All the, all the walls were blue. And so we had some details like that that Mike could verify to prove that I was really connected and really listening to what Mono had to say. And then um, 
he, Mono was able to say what he needed, you know, what he needed for his recovery. And he was ever so, ever so positive. And um, he said this one sentence to Mike, which was, uh, I will be the dog I used to be. And it was over all the, the weeks and the, the months of um, Mono's recovery that this sentence really gave Mike hope. Because he was having to turn him all the time and decapitalization and there was an awful lot of um, 24-7 care, you know. So, of course, it does go through your mind, am I doing the right thing here? But Mono was so determined he was he was going to be the dog he used to be that um, Mike and his partner continued with his care. And it was within a few months that he started to walk again. And another month later, he started to run. And within, I think it was nine months, he actually climbed a 2,000-foot mountain. That's it was quite just an achievement, yeah. Quite an achievement being told that his dog's paralysed for life or never walk again. And, and quite clearly as well, if if um, his friend hadn't contacted you, then, you know, Mono would be in spirit now, wouldn't she? Or he, is it he? He, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, he might be in spirit, but um, it certainly gave the encouragement to Mike that he was doing the right thing. Yeah. And... Um, we did we did further communication, so we did sort of check-ins every now and again just to see if Mono needed anything different, how things were. There was one point he said he needed he needed more stimulation. Um, he wanted different music. He wanted um, Inspector Morse music, and he wanted more stimulation. And so Mike started to carry him start with to the door, so he could look at the view. And then when it got warmer, he carried him out onto the grass. And all these little things are what really help animals heal themselves, you know. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the music as well, because um, wasn't there a goldfish that you, you came across that liked rock music? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I communicated with a goldfish, which I know some people might find that really hard to understand. Yeah. But um, it's an energetic connection, this, so you can, con- you can connect with an- any animal anywhere, any species. And I was connecting with this goldfish. I didn't have a photo. I was connecting with the goldfish through the love of the goldfish's guardian. So I'm on the phone with her doing this communication. And I do all the verifiable things, you know. Um, his tank is based in the living room. He's got a view of the kitchen, da-da-da. You know, you can see this, you can see that. He's, um, his tank's got this in it, hasn't got that in it. So all that stuff was verified first. And then we um, we got into what she needed to know. And towards the end, he started playing this, what, you know, playing this music in my head, which I would describe as rock music. And I said, why are you doing that? He said, I really, really like the rock music. <laughs> and I, I just thought, oh, I can't believe this goldfish that likes rock music. You'd think they'd like something, you know, more tinkly, wouldn't you? Mm. Or nothing at all. Um, and I brought it up with the guardian. He said, oh, my God, that's my boyfriend's music. He plays it all the time in that room as well yeah it's incredible because i mean the other thing as well with um you know when you look into um is it totems um yeah you, you, you know they, they've all got different characters but it's you know when you're reading your book these these animals do seem to have the stereotypical characters that you'd expect them to have do you know what i mean i remember reading something in there where one of them was really wise and um almost like the point of like oh you humans are so stupid you know you just don't get it it's so simple yeah you know yeah was that Stuart by any chance it cat? could be it could be yeah i think it was the cat actually he's, he's a very yeah. wise cat 
So, and it gets a little bit impatient with with human beings because we overcomplicate life. We do. We do. Um, and I mean that comes through from the animals all the time when I'm doing communications. You know, why don't we as human beings just simplify our lives? We'll be so much happier. We're focusing on all the wrong things. Um, for them, life is it's about happiness and joy and connecting with nature and just all the simple things in life. Yeah. I know that along the way, like all of us, you know, um, we've tried to develop and open up that you, you can almost get really, really good at something and then all the doubts come flooding in, don't they? Mm. And I know this, a similar thing happened um, to yourself, didn't it? You, I think you, you attended a workshop um, and it was almost like a, what some people call a dark night of the soul in a way that it all just came crashing down for you. But then you, I think a horse, was it a horse that really That's helped you? That's right, yeah. I, um, I went on a workshop with um, an American animal communicator who's over here. And the workshop was on the Isle of Man. And um, it started on the Friday night and I just couldn't communicate with the dogs that was the guest teacher that night at all. And I was getting quite... Um, depressed about it because I'd already been on a number of workshops and had done quite well. And then the next day, I couldn't communicate either. You know, the whole day I couldn't communicate with any animal. I just couldn't create an emotional connection with them. And on the last day, in the morning, we went outside and there was this gigantic horse there called Jupiter. And I reached out, you know, I went through all the, the different steps and I reached out to connect with him. And I immediately burst into tears, actually. I mean, I just started breaking down into just complete uncontrollable sobs. I had to take myself off to the side, you know, to try and avoid embarrassing myself too much. And what he did is he literally just blasted over my heart chakra so that I could feel again. And, it's, and it's, later on, we did more communication, and I was absolutely fine again. So he, even though I thought I wasn't connecting with him, he was definitely connecting with me, and he was, he was basically healing me and giving me exactly what I needed at that point, and that was to help me reconnect with my heart emotionally. It was, it was an amazing experience. I'll always be really thankful to that horse. Yeah, it's, it's an uplifting section of the book actually, because when you when you're reading the book, you know the first thing you want to do is learn to do what you've done. Okay, so you know, like um, it's it's nice when you're developing that everyone goes through that kind of fear and and sort of losing their way a little bit, yeah. and it's almost like I, I know it's quite well known that you get the carrot and the stick, you do really really well, and then you have to kind of trust, and then you're back on the same road again, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was more to do with the. Oh, I made some notes here. Um, <laughs> When did you read the book? I've just literally just put it down. I've got so many questions going through my mind. I literally um, finished it two days ago. Um, um, and I, I put little post-it notes down of all the little stories in there. Because um, <laughs> so many of them touched my heart. And, and one that really, really made me laugh was the one to do with the, the mice, actually. Uh, what... Yeah, everybody brings up the mice story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very... Animal communication can be incredibly practical, you see. Mm. Um I had a problem with with my understairs cupboard. I'd, it's where I used to keep my um, the dry food for my cat and my dog in this industrial strength, you know, plastic casing um, from the pet manufacturers. Um, and I'd open the door and I'd be hit with this horrendous smell of ammonia, virtually knocked out by it. And I could see all these little droppings everywhere. Oh my God, mice! 
and it got so strong that I thought, it's got to stop. This can't keep carrying on. And so what I did is I sat on my sofa and I basically reached out and asked for the guy in charge, because there's no point trying to connect with all mice at the same time. It'll just be mayhem. Just ask for the person in charge, the mouse in charge, to come to you, and then you can start your conversation. Um, and it did happen for me, and he was furious because he, what I learned is that mice are very emotional. And he was having a right old rant at me about how human beings don't care about mice. You know, he's got family to feed. We've got so much. We're so mean. Um, all he needs is a tiny bit for them to be able to feed him, for be able to feed everybody. And he just shouted and shouted at me. Eventually, I managed to get a word in anyways where I said, no, no, no. I don't want to stop you completely. I just want to come to some kind of deal. And he went silent on me because, of course, this has never been offered to mm. him. I mean, I don't think this mouse has ever even communicated with a human being before. So he took great opportunity mm. to have a rant. <laughs> um, and I said to him, let's come to a deal where I will feed you at the same time, which is in the morning and the evening, same time I feed my cat and my dog, I will leave a little white dish in the cupboard for you and I'll put food in there for you and your family. You have to promise me that you will leave all the other food alone and that you won't come into the house, the rest of the house, searching for food. And when it gets warmer, I'd like you to leave with your family and go looking for food outside. And, um, and he agreed to this. And I said to him, and just one more thing, please don't tell any other mice in the street that we've got this arrangement, because I could just suddenly imagine the whole neighbourhood of mice yeah. coming over to my house going, free lunch, yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't know whether this was going to work. I didn't know if I made this all up in my mind and I was just imagining it. But I carried through, because you've just got to have faith in your communication, just got to trust it. Um, and I put the food out, and, you know, within 10 minutes it'd be gone, even though I wouldn't see any mice. I put it out in the evening, same thing, gone. You know, it got to the point where it'd be gone in minutes, but it obviously got to know the time I'd put the food out. And this went on for a number of weeks. And then I was putting the food out, and it was still there. And I thought, oh, no, where's my little family and mice gone? Um, and it was still there in the evening. And then I started to worry, and it was there in the next day, and it still hadn't been eaten. And it... It took me that long to go, oh, my God, it's actually, it's got warmer. And they've gone. They've kept to their side of the bargain, you know. And that's what really blew me away. You know, I didn't make it up. I managed to negotiate with the knife, and I kept my side of the deal, and they kept their side of the deal. Yeah, it's amazing. They've got integrity, haven't they? They've got integrity, you know. Yeah. Possibly more integrity than human beings have. They, they have. I, I think it's, it's a lot of it is, you know, money is a big thing, isn't it? And, you know, a lot of people... I don't know, if there was money in the, in the mice world, maybe they'd have different issues, or maybe peanuts, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe they would. Oh, I don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? But, you know, sort of reading, reading your book, I tried a few experiments myself as well, and I'm, I remember you reading something about a bee or a wasp, because I don't think you like wasps either, right? And i absolutely fearful of wasps um, oh, yeah. from being stung when I was younger. But yeah. anyway, I was in, in the conservatory the other day, and a big bee came in, and it kind of sat on the window, and I thought, oh, what do I do? And then I just suddenly remembered the book, and I just did what you said. I kind of felt the love in my heart, if you like, and I've sort of projected it out, and it felt like a oneness yeah, with the, with the bee. And I just said, um, you know, can you please leave the conservatory? And then it just literally just flew off and out of the top of the window. Yeah. And I just thought, 
was that luck? Was that coincidence? Did that really happen? Well, if you were to do it again, then you'd know it wasn't luck, wouldn't you? Yeah. So I've tried. Yeah. I kind of tried it again as well um, with some spiders that were in a uh, a plant pot, and um, basically that was in the, in this plant pot of the garden centre, and I wanted to take the the spiders out there and put them into another pot but before, before I could do anything the man who worked there come and took all the pots away uh. and I was concerned he was going to kill them but anyway they came home in the car and then um, I just sort of asked all the spiders if they could move mm-hmm. um, but then I, I don't know why I felt like they were really angry with me um, did you reach out to them, to them with love that time or did you just ask them to go I, I, I tried to reach out with love and it felt like they were angry because they were now in an environment without a roof over their head. Oh, uh, um, yeah. It was, but I wasn't sure if I was making it up. I was probably, I don't know, you've got to go with your gut instincts, haven't you, really? I think you do, and I think um, when you're starting out learning how to do animal communication, it's quite easy to have those sort of doubts, am I just making this up, is it just a fluke, or is that just luck? So the best way to to really build up your confidence and to sort of, you know, reassure yourself that you are really doing this is to communicate with your friends animals and ask questions that they can verify so that you really know whether you've got it right or whether you've got it wrong yeah and then when you have those moments with being the spider you know you you can feel confident that that really happened my um my moment that's in the book was with a fly and i was um sitting out at my table having just finished doing communication and a fly came and rested on my hand and I thought, oh, I wonder if I can communicate with flies, having never done this before. So I said, you know, if you can hear me, I would like you to prove it by flying around my parasol, which is at the table, and coming back to land on my hand, my left hand again. Yeah. And immediately, the second I'd finished my sentence, the fly left my hand, flew um, around the parasol, and came straight back and landed on my hand again. Nowhere else, no detours. I went, hmm, Okay. Can you do it again? Go around the parasol and come back to land on my hand once more. Immediately left my hand, went around the parasol and came and landed back on my left hand. And I thought, this is really happening. And I, and I said to the flight, I said, if you do this for me once more, I will never, ever question that it's possible to communicate with animals and that animals are able to communicate with us. And immediately the fly left my hand, flew around the parasol, always in the same direction, came back and landed straight back on my left hand and I just said thank you <laughs> and it just and then it just yeah. flew off it just went off into the distance wow. and that was you know that was insects going you know we're there too we do communicate too yeah so did you when you when you asked the fly did you speak to it like with your voice or was it in your mind that you spoke to it I always do it in my mind I do it quietly in my mind um, yeah the way I communicate with my animals at home, I cat my dog, if I do it verbally out loud. But when I'm communicating with um, animals that I don't know or don't know that well, I always do it silently in my mind. Because I think, for me, my my style is that it helps me really focus by doing it that way. But once I know an animal really well, I can verbalise quite happily and then also receive the information back. Yeah. Because of course, when once you when sorry when you work with um, the, the 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 guardians of the pets and you sort of make them aware that you can communicate with them, it really adds a new dimension to their relationship, doesn't it? Like they've almost like they can't believe that they've had this dog or cat all this time, and actually they could 
you know, in some they they could speak to him in some way, or they could understand, or yeah, it's it's amazing actually because sometimes the relationship starts to change the instant they you know they bang an email off to me requesting a communication, or they pick up the phone to talk to me. It can they they sometimes notice their animal changing in that moment, um, but it the relationships always change at the end of the communication once they've once they've heard what their animal thinks and feels and wants and doesn't want about life and often the animals give them personal life advice too which is often absolutely mind-blowing um the dynamics always change they're bound to aren't they you know when you suddenly go you know this isn't just a dog that i want to do you know sit beg roll over this is this is another sentient being in my life who is just as intelligent and emotional as me if not more so it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It really, really is. I mean, the other thing a lot of people ask as well, well, they want to know if their pets go into the spirit world, don't they? They want to know if, if their pets reincarnate or if they're ever going to see them again. And you've had yeah. quite a few experiences, haven't you, where you've actually, I think you've even had a reincarnation experience, didn't you, where one of them came back as, is it Phoenix? Yes, that's right. There was a, a male Stinoni called Ricky, who um, liked to be called HRH Ricky because he's so sort of regal and proud and thinks very highly of himself. <laughs> um, and he, six months before he passed over, he told me the most amazing details, which I didn't really value at that point. It wasn't until later that I went, oh my God. But what he said, he said, I'm going to tell my guardian, Lynn, I'm going to come back and I'm coming back as a female. I'm going to be a puppy. I'm going to be a Stenoni again and I'm going to be the runt of the litter. I'm going to love pink, which Lynn can't bear. And also, you're going to know it's me because I'm going to run up to you and I'm going to bite down on the little finger of your left hand. And I was like, okay, Vicky, you know, whatever. I, and I let Lynn know. And she, she, was, she was like, what is he thinking? It's absolutely crazy because, I, one, I have to think of my age because um, she's retired. And I would never dream of getting a female. I've always had, I've always had boy dogs. You know, I've always had males. Um, and how am I going to find him? You know, all the, the usual questions. Um, and he did ascend. Sadly, he did ascend. He came and taught one of my workshops as a guest teacher, and um, which is what he really wanted to do before he passed over. And then shortly after that, he passed over. And um, Lynn and Ricky were communicating themselves, and um, she was guided by him to, to the location in the UK to where to find him. And when she found this location, she went, "Oh my God, it has to be there because it's literally round the corner from when Ricky himself was born." And um, when she clicked on the website of this particular um, rescue come breeding. Um, location that um, she heard this music that her and Ricky always used to love together she turned up and she she heard this puppy screaming 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 and she she went into the house and she went to the puppies that were the same coloring as Ricky and there were like 14 little puppies in in this um, enclosure and um, from the back, this screaming puppy came, 
clambering over her brothers and sisters, launched herself to the front of the wire cage, and she clamped down on the little finger of Lynn's left hand. I mean, everything, absolutely everything played out. The other thing that um, Ricky said, actually, is that I will be at somewhere slightly different. It will be a breeder, a Spinoni breeder, but also they rescue animals. Yeah. So such an unusual place, and just all the information checked out. Um, the little puppy was the runt of the litter. Um, it, it became apparent she was crazy about pink. She'd go into a pet shop and she'd literally pull all the pink things off the shelving. Yeah. And if you gave her any other coloured toys, she'd only play with the pink ones. Um, there were lots of, you know, lots of things. Amazing. So he did. He came back. It's really, really incredible. I think that touched a lot of people's hearts, actually, you know, hearing that. Because one of the other things you do as well, you actually, and it's probably one of the sad things you do, um, is that you help them pass over, don't you? You know, because they, they're able to tell you what it is they need in their last moments to try and yeah. ease their, you know, passage, really. Yeah. There's, um, there's a story in the book about a dog called Curtis, who is, um, he's quite hilarious, actually. He's got a great sense of humour, and he's, um, he was always trying to make his guardians laugh. And um, to look at him when he was old, just before he passed, you'd, you'd think that there was absolutely nothing going on behind the eyes. He was sort of like quite stony-faced. Um, but the great thing about the communication, um, in a similar way that, you know, with your daughter, is that through the communication, we, we were able to hear from him and his humour and what he wanted and what he didn't want. And it was just so much fun having those communications with him. And then he, um, then he got very sick, and um, his guardians asked me to communicate with him, and he said it was his time to go, and um, they realised it too. And he was able to say exactly what he wanted. Um, you know, he wanted music, he wanted them to celebrate his life rather than feel really sad. And um, they invited me to be with them, actually, um, just to support them, but more importantly, they wanted me to support Curtis just in case he had any sort of last-minute requests, mm. which he did, you know, because the vet was running late. They were having the vet come to their house, and um, she was stuck in traffic, so he got a little bit frustrated about that, and he said, well, in that case, I'll have some chicken, <laughs> <laughs> which he did, and he had this, you know, lovely fresh chicken um, before he ascended, and he just let go, and because I was there, I was able to have this amazing experience where I actually saw his spirit leaving his body. And it was the first time I've ever seen that. And it was literally um, like a grey wisp leaving his stomach area. And it was wisping up. It was still connected to his body. But it was sort of wisping out of him and wisping up into the air. And then it, at a certain point, it disconnected from his body and just vanished you know the gray wisp just vanished in front of my eyes and that's when i knew that he'd he descended that he'd let go and he'd gone yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's a sad story obviously for the you know the, the guardians that is passing over but it's also so lovely that you know he's able to sort of communicate in his last last hours what he wanted and to pass in such a lovely way really in, in just the most gentle way, in exactly the way he wanted it to be held in Mark's arms, um, you know, for there to be candles lit. And um, 
I mean, the other really wonderful thing is that I then communicated with him, you know, a few weeks later. And um, he was able to tell them some moments that in their lives that they'd shared together that he thought were great. And because um, he used to travel a lot. Um, Mark and Sue, his guardians, traveled a lot, and Curtis would always go with them. And they'd go to these lovely hotels that the company were paying for. And they'd get, you know, when Curtis was there, they'd suddenly get upgraded or they'd go to a city that normally rains. And when Curtis was there, it would be sunshine. You know, he always had this wonderful sort of mojo about him that everything was always going to be great when Curtis was with you. And the other thing he said when after, when he was in spirit to them, he, he pictured himself being in one of those sedan chairs being carried around. Really? And he, he elevated his position because he's known as King Curtis when he was alive. Right. He elevated his position in spirit to Emperor Curtis Ooh. and pictured himself being carried around their local park where they always used to walk him in this sedan chair, which just made them cross out in laughter. And they've got a wonderful sense of humour, haven't they? Oh, they do, they do. And he was, he was just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about as well, and this is... Probably something, you know, if people are sceptical about this, there's one thing, um, you know, you've been able to do with the, with the pets is um, help those that have been missing, you know, help. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible because, you know, like, you know, if you, if you sort of doubt that you've got things in your mind, if you, you've you been able to actually locate exactly where a cat or a dog might be if, if yeah. they're missing, which is amazing. That's always the communication that... Um, I suppose gives the most verifiable proof to people, isn't it? Um, there's, there's, there's quite a few stories in the book about missing animals that I've tracked and found. Um, there was, a, I mean, talk about doing it distantly. Uh, there was a cat in Spain, and so her guardian emailed me a photo, and um, he was able to tell me that he was in the basement of the building next door and pictured the windows that they were horizontal with um, vertical metal uh, bars and that it was cold and damp and empty down there and that the back of the door that he could see was dark green. And um, it took, I think, it was four or five days before the Guardian was able to convince the Spanish authorities to let them into this building because it was empty. Um, but when they got in and when they went down to the basement, there he was exactly where he said with the horizontal windows like that and the back of the door was dark green and they got to him thankfully they got to him in time because there wasn't any water and there wasn't any food down there the poor guy was he'd managed to reach it via an interlinking basement from where he lived but he wasn't able to get back um i think he just got a bit too scared yeah but um they managed to find him there and um stop feeding him and getting his you know like rehydrating him See, I, I can't think how, imagine how frustrating it must be for animals, um, knowing that we can communicate with them, but the majority of us don't know we can. And so they're, you know, they, they want to tell us where they are, they want help. Um, but you think how many animals are out there that can't ask for help? That's, yeah. that's the thing, it really, it kind of opens up, you know, some, a sad story really for, for many people. Just they've got pets that are out there and that, you know, their, their pet could be in that building. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, unless the Guardian knows about animal communication and is willing to give it a try, um, so this that's where they might stay, sadly. 
But the good thing is, I mean, I know that you're you're doing some workshops, aren't you? You've actually, it looks like you're doing one in Devon, London, Isle of Wight, York, Oxford. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got um, extra. I've got extra coming up, and uh, maybe eight. The June one in London actually is just filled up. That's full now. But I'm holding another one on, in London on September the 12th. That's a new date. I'm in Cairns on the Isle of Wight on July the 10th. I'm in York, August the 7th. There's about three places left on that one. I'm teaching again at, um, at the Cotswolds Wildlife Park in Oxfordshire on September the 18th and 19th. And that's an amazing course because we get to communicate with the wild and endangered animals as well. So we're communicating with, you know, a royal python. Um, and in fact, there's a royal python story in my book of when we communicated with Ruby. We're communicating with the lions. I've also got the lion story in the book about Chandra and Aquila. Um and all the other animals, you know, the, the rhino, the Aldebra tortoise, the zebra, the camels. Um, and what's great is that the keepers of these animals at the park come and verify the information that we're getting hmm. so that we know, you know, the students know whether they're getting it right. It's not just me saying, yeah, that's right. There's a keeper there. And also, you know, it's very educational because the keepers adore these animals, so they'll often be quite happy to stay around for five, ten minutes and talk about that particular species, yeah, yeah, which is which is a great fun for us, and you know we get to hold a royal python and communicate with a royal python, which is just the most amazing experience. Because um, they're quite mystical, it, aren't they? Oh, they're just they're so mesmerising. <laughs> they're absolute charmers, and they're very emotional and calm animals. I just love them, love them. Yeah. So, so in the work that you've done, do you feel like you know every breed of animal now in a completely different way? Like, not just reading mm. about them in a book, but really understanding them by actually yeah. feeling them. Not every breed. <laughs> no, not every breed. I haven't communicated, communicated with every breed, but certainly the animals that I have communicated with, yeah, completely, I see them in a completely different light. Yeah, because yeah. there's an interesting um, story, but there's a guy in South Africa, I think, who who can actually swim with lions he can cuddle them he can roll over with them they they play with him i think he's like a game keeper or he protects them yes and they, i saw that I, somebody sent me a link to him with all these these um is it just lions or there are others um yeah I cheetahs think it, as well weren't there yeah which you normally yeah. can't get close to that's right but they, um, they know that he's protecting them from poachers yeah I think he must be communicating with them. Yes. He, you know, he's got a much more a deeper, more spiritual, intuitive connection than just being his, being their keeper. That's right. Way. Yeah, yeah. Because so otherwise, I'll... they wouldn't give him that respect. Yes, yes. I mean, I've heard this um, through another source actually that um, someone who's he does kind of trance channeling. They they mentioned that he was a very spiritual man, and that you could yeah. not anyone could do that. No. You know so. It's, you know, in case people are thinking about jumping into a lion's cage or something, it's not worth doing that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not a good yeah. idea. No, no. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's really, really, really interesting. You know, we a lot of people on our site are quite interested. We've been sort of um, mentioning on our Facebook group that you'll be coming on to do a show, and there's a lot of people that would be really interested in hearing this show as well. And I think it's opened up a lot of new people into opening up doing mediumship in a different, slightly different way, so rather than um, using loved ones that are passed over. Because mm. so many people have got an epiphany with animals, haven't they? They absolutely adore animals. And yeah, thousands, thousands of people. 
Yeah, I think you know the UK. We're a nation of animal lovers. I know that there is, there are cases of cruelty out there, but compared to a lot of other countries, we absolutely adore them. We're crazy about them. Yeah, and it's it's learned about the unconditional love, isn't it? And I mean another interesting thing as well. Um, and this was an April Fool's joke. Um, you might have read this, but Google announced on the first of April that they'd created some kind of uh, translation engine so that you could basically translate a dog and it would tell you what a dog was saying or a cat or anything. <laughs> no, I didn't know about that. What are they like? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, they need to go on a course, don't they? Because then they'll see that that's actually really close to the truth, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But another thing came out this week as well. Toads can detect earthquakes, apparently. Three days before an earthquake, they reckon toads can um, detect it. I so, think there's, there are an awful lot of animals, aren't there, that can de- that are very sensitive to the vibrations of the earth, the atmospheric mm. pressure, and do sense what's going on, you know, and suddenly move, you know, there, there's constant reports, aren't there, in the press about a particular species moving away or leaving, you know, for no apparent reason, and then something happens. Um, it's like all the... Um, Tsunami animals as well. There's quite a lot of press there, wasn't there, about the animals starting to run uphill, Mm. um, and some animals actually picked up people on the way and carried elephants were carrying children up the hill, and then coming back and grabbing more children and taking them up the hill. Wow, that's incredible! That is incredible. Yeah. So, have you got any more stories before we, we sort of round it up? I know there's. I've tried to remember all your stories, but there's so many good ones in the book. There's so um, many, aren't there? Um, there is. Um, can finish with, who can we finish with? Because um, obviously you want people to buy the book as well, because it's a fantastic book, isn't it? Is it published through HarperCollins? Or? HarperCollins published it. It's, uh, yeah. it's available pretty much everywhere. Amazon, Smith, Asda, Easton's over in Ireland, um, you can order it if you would like a personally signed copy. You can order it directly from my website. Um, so, Waterstones are stocking it. Yeah. And it's a brilliant book, isn't it? Because you just go into so many different stories that sort of cover pretty much any question you can, you're thinking of. You sort of answer it with one of the stories. And you talk about your development, your journey and everything. So it's, you know, it's, a, it's a really, really good book. Um, and the other thing, your website is animalthoughts.com? It's www.animalthoughts.com, yeah. Yeah. And if anybody wants to book on one of the workshops, uh, so they just go to the website and then click on um, Schedule 2010. They'll see all the information there, and then they can um, they can request a booking form for, for the one they fancy attending. Yeah. And I think one, one last story, because I quite like this one, because... Um, I like horses. We we actually go horse riding actually um, every week. We take a daughter to horse riding, um, and the, the horses do seem to have a connection with all the children are there because it's all made up of kids that have got special needs, autism, that kind of thing, and mm. they they're aware that these kids are different. They don't feel threatened by them. It's unbelievable. Um, and I know you you communicate with a horse, didn't you? And you, you realised that um, it was really sad because it had lost. I think was it um, a lover or. A f- he, he'd been taken away from his friend, yeah, relocated, taken away from his friend. Um, and so this horse was was um, suffering depression 
and also had very low self-esteem. He didn't think he was any good at dressage at all. Um, and so what I did is I basically counseled him. I gave him space to be able to talk about his feelings, which happened over time where we built up trust during my home visit to, to the yard where he was. And um, I was able to give his guardian a few um, suggestions of how to cope with him because what would happen is he would suddenly just bolt, which was quite dangerous for her when he couldn't cope with the situation. Um, and so I was able to advise her going on what he was saying and what he needed. You know, initially when I met him, he was, he was sort of dead behind the eyes. He was, he was so down. Um, but by the time we, I left, which is about, you know, an hour and a half later, two hours later, he was showing the first signs of taking interest in life. And he's made the most amazing, amazing recovery. Um, but to the point now that he is actually um, entering competitions at international level. I mean, he's, he's come on so far. It's incredible. And he's gone with his guardian now. It's, it's massive. But all he needed is the space for someone to listen to him. Yeah. And just be there in a sort of neutral space without any agenda, without any judgment, just like, you know, a, a counsellor would do for a human being, really. Um, and that was that was a really enough for him to be able to move forward and with a few suggestions to his guardian. I mean, his world was just turned around. He's just amazing now. Yeah. So you've, you've helped build a bond between them, haven't you, really? And, and the other thing was as well that... They need they they prefer to have their own brand new covers as well, yeah, they're, not hand they're rugs, down. Yeah, <laughs> horses are quite fussy about their rugs, you know. Uh, they like um, they often say to me, "I don't like the colour. I'd like it to be this colour, please. You know, I want it to be blue. I want it to be ruby. Um, I don't like this green one." And sometimes they're they're a little bit funny about having second-hand rugs, you know, a rug that's belonged to another horse. So that does come up quite often and it's quite easy to tell you know sometimes that a horse is happy with their rug because they just stand very proudly in it and horses that are annoyed by it and don't want it on they have a different stance to them but what they do is they literally just tell me I don't want this one I want this this other one or they say I prefer my burgundy rug, rug with the gold trimming please stop putting <laughs> yeah. the blue one on me you know <laughs> And the guardian would go, oh, my God, really? I quite like the blue one, but do they really like the burgundy one? <laughs> <laughs> what sort of reaction do you get out of people, though? When, cause when they, do they believe you? Are they completely blown away? I mean, you I must... When, about the rugs or just... Oh, well, I mean, generally, I mean, when you, you've got a lot of people that um, have never really entertained this before. It's kind of changing their well-view, isn't it, quite drastically? It know? is. It's, you know, I think it's often one of those awakening moments, a bit like I had. Um, yeah. I think some people um, can go with it really quickly and just go, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, and other people, they, you know, quite naturally, they just take a bit longer and go, this is amazing, but I'm still not sure. But I have to say, the most, you know, when people have taken that step to contact me to request the communication, they're already halfway there. So all you have to do then is to give them verifiable proof and then just allowed the animal to communicate with them. And, you know, people are blown away, and the response is very, very positive on the whole. 
Yeah, indeed. And I think as you know, as a race, hopefully this is where we're heading, where it's become natural that we can communicate with animals and plants, and that you know, it really opens everything up to a much more peaceful, loving world, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be a lovely vision of the future, wouldn't it? Where we're all we're all communicating with each other and have a much greater respect and understanding of each other, because that's when we would be more loving and and um, compassionate with each other when when we can connect on a deeper level. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's what I find amazing about the whole thing is that is you know that this on top of all the other spiritual concepts that have been around for a long time is really opening things up and pushing us forward into like a whole unity awareness where we, we actually know everything's connected rather than just reading about it we're sort of getting proof that yes because we're experiencing it personally yeah 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 and that's i think this is why also the workshops are so popular i think people are in a position where they're really they're looking for connection aren't they and there are lots of different ways that that connection is is available. The animal communication is is one of those those methods. And anyone who's an animal lover is is quite keen to connect to the their dog or the cat or whoever it is at home. And um, this is just another means where um, you know a higher source is is trying to bring us together and trying to connect us and. Um, to open our hearts and to help us see the world, you know, as, as a connected world rather than a separate world. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much, P. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Thank um, you very much, it's been a pleasure. I, I really feel like I learned so much talking to the guests on my show, it's fantastic. And, um, and I know that our listeners really appreciate listening to this as well. So, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate this. Um, and, um, you know, I really sort of wish you all the best on your journey and with your workshops. And, you know, I hope people thank feel you. drawn to um, popping along. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to the listeners as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much, P. You're welcome.